Morning, New Life Fellowship. It's really, really good to be here with you this morning. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Um, you know, for me personally, uh, my mom is the one who kind of taught me uh, the truths of Christianity. She's the one that taught me the Apostles' Creed. Uh, she taught me the Lord's Prayer. But it was ultimately when my dad converted uh, in back in 2000 when my faith really started to burn. It's really at that time when my faith became my own is when my dad actually converted to Christianity. And so just, just a word of encouragement to all the fathers out there that your faith matters, especially to your children. And so make sure to tend to it. Make sure to tend to that fire so that it constantly grows. Um, also, just a quick announcement. As Pastor Claire mentioned, we do have a baptism today at 1130. Uh, Maria came to our church through online worship. Uh, she grew up as a Catholic um, left the church uh, a while back, probably about 10 years or so, didn't step into a single church. Uh, a friend of hers who came out to New Life invited her to our online worship service, and it was there that she met Christ uh, once again. And so she devoted, she dedicated her life to Christ, and so today we get to celebrate that with her. And so her whole community group, I believe, is going to come out uh, for the next service, and they're just going to celebrate with her as we baptize her. So, um, yeah, just keep praying for her. Uh, this is, you know, baptism is just the first step, right? Every day for Christians, it's a baptism again and again, where we die to our old self and we rise again to new life, okay? Uh, well, uh, we are in a sermon series called Relationship Status, and uh, we've got to get to this. Uh, and so uh, if you can, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 8, okay? And uh, this passage is actually about divorce, okay? But we're not going to talk about divorce today. We're going to talk about marriage uh, because in week one, we talked about relationship to the church. Week two, we talked about friendship. Week three, we talked about singleness. Last week, we talked about dating. And then today, we're going to talk about marriage. Um, now, I know there's uh, many of you tuning in online who are not married. For those of you here who are not married, please pay attention. Because for most of us, right, at some point, we'll get married, for most of us. And so it's good for us to study now what the scriptures say about marriage and for us to kind of dwell on this, to meditate on it, and to really learn from it, okay? So at this time, if you're able, would you rise as we read God's word together? Matthew chapter 19, uh, 3 to 8, uh, the title of the sermon today is called Miserably Married, okay? <laughs> this is the reading of God's word. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, that's Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll seat you. Uh, Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, I know today, Lord, uh, it's a tough subject, Lord, as we talk about marriage, and it's a tough passage. But Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that you would help us to absorb your truths and not our own. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would mend and heal broken marriages. And Lord, we pray that today's sermon, that today's word from you, Lord, would give every marriage hope once again. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. 
All right, so we do have three points. The first point is designing marriage. Our second point is uh, called uh, the def uh, defining marriage. And then our last point is a divorce-proof marriage, okay? So three points there. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into our first point. You know, I, I'm not a complete Star Wars nerd, but I do love the Star Wars universe. And one of the things I love about Star Wars are the weapons, the lightsaber, in fact. It, I'm so, I, I actually believe out of all the sci-fi fantasy worlds out there, the lightsaber is sort of the best weapon out there, in my opinion. Um, and I remember one time uh, listening to an interview by George Lucas, who's the creator of Star Wars. And by the way, if you're unfamiliar with Star Wars, uh, I, I don't know what to say to you. You've got to crawl out of the rock where you came from, you know. Um, but, uh, and by the way, uh, uh, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. I spoiled it for you. I'm so sorry. But you had 70 years to watch the film. Um, but he talks about the lightsaber and the creation and the beginnings of the lightsaber. And I thought it was so beautiful what he says here. Listen to what he says in this interview. He says the whole premise uh, of Star Wars was that it was a romantic fantasy in the great romantic traditions of mythology like King Arthur, where the romantic side of fighting was chivalry and honor. In developing a group of peacekeepers, that's a Jedi, right, who were above everything, honorable and could make decisions and bring peace to the galaxy, I needed a weapon that was appropriate for that kind of Jedi. It was more of a symbol than an actual weapon. In an age of ray guns and that sort of thing, they would deflect the rays. And since the whole premise was that a Jedi was there to protect himself and not really be offensive, but defensive, that a laser sword in a world of ray guns would be a perfect defensive weapon. I thought that was really beautiful. Uh, and all this to say, right, our understanding of something can deepen, our appreciation for that thing can grow, uh, and our love for that particular thing can really rise up when we go back to the source, to the beginning, to the creation of it, and see what the creator had in mind. And in the same way today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at this passage on divorce, but Jesus is going to say something like this. I'm going to take it back to the beginning. I'm not going to stop at Moses, but I'm going to go way back to Genesis and show you what marriage is really all about. Because if we understand marriage from the source, from the creator, we can actually deepen our understanding, our love, and our appreciation for the unity of marriage and actually grow in it. Okay, so let's start here at verse 3, okay? Look at verse, me, uh, look at verse 3 here. And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, and so what's going on here, I've talked a little bit about this in my singleness sermon, uh, but Jesus is being tested. And this doesn't mean that they were actually, you know, trying to literally test him, but they were actually trying to blast Jesus. Because this idea of divorce was so controversial in that day that it's sort of like this. Imagine uh, one of you guys sort of asked me, who did you vote for president? Right, and you put me on the spot. That's sort of what's happening to Jesus. Because there were two views in that day of divorce, right? There was a, a, a rabbi by the name of Hillel who was the liberal view, and there was another rabbi by the name of Shammai who was the conservative view. So Hillel, for example, would say something like this. You can divorce a woman for any cause. If she looks at you the wrong way, divorce her. If she burns the soup, divorce her. Uh, if she steps on your toe, divorce her. Any cause, you can divorce her. And this actually became the popular view. And why? It's because, well, it favored men. I mean, a man could divorce a, a woman for really anything, uh, and he had every right to do so. And guess what? It left the women sort of high and dry. They weren't able to produce money like men. Uh, they weren't able to have the sort of connections that men had. And so this really left women in a bind. And so they had to be obedient. They had to be subservient, or their husbands could just divorce them. This is why it became a very popular view. 
Well, Jesus here takes the Shammai view. He takes the more conservative view. And Shammai says this, right? Shammai says, well, look, look, you can't divorce a woman for any cause. You, you can only divorce her because of infidelity, because of adultery. And Jesus actually takes this view. And again, this view was unpopular because it put the power back in the woman's hands. Right now, a woman was able to divorce her husband because he committed adultery with a prostitute. Right? A, a woman now was protected because a man couldn't divorce her for any odd reason. And look at what, what Jesus does here. Even though he sides with Shammai, right, he doesn't go to, Genesis, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is where the debate landed. If you go back to Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy 24, this is what they mean by, didn't Moses command to give a woman a certificate of divorce? And yet Jesus doesn't stop at Deuteronomy 24. He takes it all the way back to creation. Okay, look at me at verse 7 and 8. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Is Jesus contradicting the, his own Bible? And he's not. Okay, let me explain to you why. Uh, in the Old Testament, theologians have kind of broken up Old Testament law into sort of three components, okay? One is the moral law. Okay, these are universal, uh, never-ending laws, right? They're, they're here for all of time, just like gravity, right? It's a law of nature. And in the same way, the Ten Commandments are sort of these moral laws. This is why we still study them today. Okay, but then there were also ceremonial laws, laws that govern purity, holiness, uh, worship, uh, these kinds of sacrifices, right? These were ceremonial laws, and these were temporary. These only governed the temple period of, uh, of Israelite history. And then finally, there were civic laws, civic laws that governed the nation of Israel. And this is important because you have to remember Israel wasn't just a religion, it was a nation. They had kings, they, they needed laws that governed them. And Moses' law here falls under the civic law. It was a law given to the people because of their hardness of heart. They needed a way out because they were so hard of hearts. And this was to create unity and peace within the Israelite nation. But Jesus says, look, this was not always so. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, in the very beginning, this is not what God intended. See, because man or people have their own ideas of marriage, but he says you can't take a people's idea of marriage. You've got to go back to the source and see what God has to say. Humans, people, we have our own ideas about marriage, but we have to understand that this thing, marriage, was instituted by God. It was created by God, and so we've got to go back to God to get this, right? Anthropologists uh, and the secular world will say that marriage was instituted by people. But actually, the scriptures say to us that marriage was actually instituted by God himself. And so we've got to go to God to find out what this is all about. We as a culture and a society want to define marriage as the way we see fit, but it doesn't matter what we believe. We have to go back to the creator and see what he says about marriage. Right? Let me give you an example. Right? As much as I want to believe that I can put gas in a Tesla, I can't. It wasn't designed for that. Right? Elon Musk would look at me and be like, why are you trying to put gas in a car that's, you know, electric powered? And in the same way, we have to go back to God to find out what we need to put in marriage. We've got to go back to God in order to find out the original design, okay? And so let's do that now. Let's move to our second point, defining marriage. So what's God's definition of marriage? Look at verse 4, okay? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother... And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I want to tell you a story, and I'm going to connect it back in a moment, okay? But follow me, okay? My son 
uh, Josiah, he's four years old. He's been asking me the same question every single day for the last three months. I kid you not. I'm not over-exaggerating. Every day he asks me the same question. He asks me this question. Daddy, are we going to Legoland today? <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you? What happened is my mom told my son, you know, we're going to go on a trip to California soon. We're going to take a little vacation. And we're going to go to Legoland once we're in California, in Carlsbad. There's a Legoland there, and he loves Legos. So my, my mom told my son that she's going to take him to Legoland, and so he keeps asking me, can we go to Legoland today? But you see, like, what, 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 what kind of, like, it's so hard about this situation is that I have to explain, I, I'm realizing that his question makes me realize that he doesn't understand what Legoland is, where it is, the location of it, how far away it is, right? His question reveals to me what his understanding of Legoland and distance and time and all of these things are because he's asking me this question. And you see, in the same way, I think this is what ha is happening here in this passage. Jesus understands that the people's question about divorce makes him realize that they don't understand marriage. Like, they don't understand the institution of marriage. It's sort of like this, right? Let me, no one ever goes up to a doctor, right, and says, hey, doctor, when is it legal for me to cut off my arm? No one ever asks that question, right? Why? Because you want your arm. You want to keep your arm. It's a part of your body. It's one flesh. No one ever asked that, right? And I guess the doctor might respond to you, well, I guess if your arm has cancer, then I guess you could cut it off if you wanted to, but why would you want to cut it off? And in the same way, Jesus is sort of confused by the question because this is, in essence, what they're asking. He says, look, let me reorient your image of marriage. Do you realize that when you get married, you become one flesh? Why would you want to separate what God has joined together? Like, why are you trying to separate the thing that God has joined together? Like, you're one flesh, you're one body. Why would you want to find out when it's legal to cut off your arm? Why would you want to find out when it's legal to divorce? Do you see that? He's sort of perplexed by the question, like, what are you talking about? Do you understand what marriage really is? It's two people becoming one flesh. In other words, let me use this big language here, right? Jesus is telling us about the ontological reality of marriage. That there's a reality. When you say, I do, to your spouse, there, it's not just a vow. It's not just a promise. But there's a reality happening where two people become one flesh now. When I said, I do, to my wife, there, Eric died, okay? Uh, Jessica, my wife, died, okay? And we became Jerrica, right, together. Jessica and Eric together, okay? We, we both died. It's sort of a funeral service. And a, it's almost like a baptism, right, where the old self dies and the new self rises together, together as one flesh, you are one. You are two. And so let me ask you this question. If you're one, why do you want to win? Why do you keep wanting to win? Right? If your lung is strong, then you're strong. If your arms are strong, you're strong. If your spouse is strong, you're strong. If, if your spouse wins, you win. If your spouse loses, you lose. Why are you constantly trying to figure out who wins an argument and who loses an argument? I'm telling you, whoever loses... If, if somebody loses in the marriage, everyone loses in the marriage because you're one team, you're one body, you're one flesh. You know, my wife and I listened to this sermon uh, by a pastor named Albert Tate, and he gave this great illustration, and I'm going to give it uh, a, a sort, of, sort of my own retelling. But imagine with me basketball, okay, and we're playing basketball, and we're rebounding the ball. Okay, sometimes somebody will shoot the ball, it bounces off the rim, and I used to play down low, and so I used to see people going up to grab the rebound. But imagine two people of the same team go up for the ball. What do you yell? You yell, same team, same team. Why? Because if two people of the same team are fighting over the ball, well, guess what can happen? It can pop out, and the other team can get the ball, and then they can score. You're on the same team. 
Why do you keep trying to win? Why do you keep trying to win the argument? You're on the same team. In fact, my wife shared that with me this week. We were about to get into a fight. She was like, same team, Eric. Same team. <laughs> Let's just discuss this. Let's just get through this. If you win, and if you win, your spouse loses. And so if your spouse loses, guess what? You're a loser. And let me ask you this. Why would you want to be married to a loser? You see that? If your spouse loses, you lose. Look, um, uh, you know, my brother, right, uh, he, he played intermediate basketball. And I remember uh, when, I was in, uh, when I was in fifth grade, he was in seventh grade, and he was just getting started off with his basketball career, right? And uh, I remember he was, a, he was a bench warmer, but finally at the end of the game, the coach kind of puts him in. And so the, bounds, the ball is inbounded. Uh, somebody passes the ball to my brother, okay? My brother sees the open basket, and he's like, oh, my gosh, fast break. So he, he takes the ball, he runs straight for the basket, and he scores, and he's, like, cheering, right? And everyone is like, no! He went the other way. He scored on his own goal. <laughs> my brother won. Yeah, my brother scored, but his team lost because he scored on himself. See, in marriage, if you win the argument, you actually lose. You're scoring against your own team. You know, uh, there was about probably about two or three days in a row for several weeks, right, where my wife and I would fight almost every day. There was like a new argument every day. And I still remember this. It was, it was so sad. We were, we were fighting in front of our kids. I was, I was getting ferociously mad and I was getting angry. And all of a sudden, my little boy, who's, you know, he's about to turn four, he's, he's right at that cusp, he turns to us and he says, stop fighting. And I remember hearing that, and my, like, my heart broke. I was like, my goodness, like, like, I realized that when we fight, our family loses. Like, no one else loses except for our family. Everyone loses when we fight. Everyone loses when there's a loser and a winner. We will go out of our way to prove to our spouses that the reason why our kids are jacked up is because of them. We will try to show our spouses how they've been the bad parents, how the reason why we're fighting is because of them. And, and you will try to win every argument. You will try to prove the other person wrong. But guess who suffers? You do. You're, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You're losing the marriage. You are one team, one body. You are on the same team. And look, just like your physical body, you've got to take care of your marriage. If you don't put time into your physical body, if you don't put exercise in, if you don't eat healthy, if you don't plan, if you don't prep, if you don't put energy into your marriage, well, guess what happens? It will deteriorate. It just does. It's like your body. Everything in life is moving towards disorder, chaos, and entropy. Right? The older and older your car gets, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. The older and older your house gets, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. The older your bodies get, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. And the same thing is true of marriage. Look, your, your marriage doesn't get better as you get older. It just creates more and more disorder. And if you don't care for your bodies, if you don't care for your marriages, it will continuously grow in chaos and disorder. Do you spend more time taking care of your golf clubs than you do your marriage? Do you spend more time playing video games than listening to your spouse? Do you watch more TV than actually paying attention to your husband or your wife? Do you shop online more than you actually look at your spouse? But you know what, Eric? I, I'm a busy person. I, I, I've got work. I've got to make money. I've got to do all this stuff. Well, here's the reality. If you don't take care of your marriage, well, guess what? Just like your body, if you don't take care of your body, I'm sorry to say the reality is it will be unhealthy. 
you know, uh, uh, about, I, I think about a month ago, I, I, I was just went out and played golf by myself, and uh, I was paired up with this 70-year-old guy. And this 70-year-old guy was driving the ball 250 yards. For those of you who don't golf, that's very, very far, okay? Especially for a 70-year-old man. And this 70-year-old guy was chiseled from, from head to toe. And so I asked him, I was like, how are you so healthy? And you know what he didn't tell me? He didn't say, oh, it just happened. I just became healthy magically. Like, I didn't do anything. You know what he said to me? He said, yeah, I've got to work on my body. I eat healthy. I prepare my meals. I exercise daily. And I make sure to make it my top priority. Because I understand if my body is unhealthy, then I'm, uh, then I'm unhealthy. And in the same way, I'm asking you the same question. Is your marriage your top priority far above your kids? Or are your kids your first priority and then your marriage? You realize your marriage comes first and then your kids come second. This is what he means by leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. And he means that more than your family, your wife, your spouse, your husband is the most important relationship in your life. You've got to work on it because you're one body, you're one team. So let's move into our third and final point, divorce-proof marriage, okay? So how do we have a divorce-proof marriage? Jesus is telling us, look, you're one body, you're one team. How do we have a divorce-proof marriage? Now, first, I want to pause for a moment and address people who are proud that they're not divorced, right? Most of us are like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I stayed with my wife for many years. I stayed with my husband for many years, and so therefore you can be proud. Well, here's the thing that Jesus does in Matthew, and I love this, right? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here's what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, look, Christians, you think, right, uh, that you're not supposed to be moral and good, that you're free because uh, Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins. But he's saying, no, 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 no. The gospel actually gives you so much more joy that your righteousness should far exceed anybody who's legalist, right? who, who, who's driven by fear or motivation, uh, by shame or guilt or any of these things. Your righteousness should exceed. And so then he says this, right? If you even hate a brother, if even you hate a sister, you've murdered them in your heart. You see that? The Old Testament said, hey, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, Jesus says, that if you even hate somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. He says this, right? Look, the Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, Jesus says, that if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. And in the same way, I think what Jesus is getting at here in this passage is, look, even though you're not divorced, even though you might have, you know, right now you're still with your spouse, if you ever ignored your spouse, or if you now have a marriage where you two are essentially business partners and there's no love in your marriage, you're essentially divorced. It's not that you're better than people who are divorced. You're, you're the same, he would say. You've already committed the divorce sin in your hearts. And so this is why we have miserable marriages. And so what is causing divorce? And I think Jesus actually shows us here what causes divorce. And how to actually protect our marriages from it. Okay, look what he says here in verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Do you see that? Jesus not only seeing the reason why he had to allow it, but also I think the reason why marriages end in divorce and why, and why our marriages are so miserable at times is because of the hardness of heart. If you grew up in church, do you know where this phrase comes from? comes from the book of Exodus with Pharaoh. Remember when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. What does Pharaoh say? No. You know what Moses is essentially telling Pharaoh? Repent. Listen to God. Listen to God and repent. And Moses says, uh, Pharaoh says, no. I'm not letting your people go. In fact, I'm going to become more stubborn. 
I'm going to become more prideful. I'm going to lack emotional empathy because guess what? He was enslaving all these Israelites. And this is what a hardness of heart means. It means pride. It means stubbornness. It means a lack of emotional empathy. Is your heart hard? Do you know how pride, stubbornness, and lack of emotional empathy manifests in a person's life? Do you know how hardness of heart manifests? It's in really two behaviors in my opinion. It's a lack of listening and a lack of repentance. It's a lack of listening and a lack of repentance. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, right, it gives us a description of what a hard heart looks like. Let, let, let me share this with you. It's crazy, okay? I don't think it's going to be up on the screens here for you, but just listen to this, right? Isaiah sees God, okay? And, and, and God says, hey, can I send out a missionary? And Isaiah's like, here, send me. And listen to what he says to Isaiah. He says, look, you got to go preach the gospel to these people. But guess what? They have a hard heart, okay? And listen to what he says. And he, that's God, said, go and say to this people. He's talking about the Israelites. Keep on hearing. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. You know what that word dull is? That word dull means thick. Make it hard. Their hearts are hard, and this is why they don't listen. This is why they don't understand. This is why they don't perceive. And this is why ultimately he says, right, and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn repentance and be healed. Do you see what a hard heart looks like? A hard heart looks like somebody who doesn't listen and somebody who never, ever repents. Look, do you know how you're going to be reconciled to your husband and to your wife? Do you know how you're going to bridge the gap? Do you know how you're going to become one flesh? Do you listen and do you repent? Do you really listen to your spouse? Do you really, really listen? Do you actually hear their heart? Or do you just say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Are you actually internalizing what they're saying? Like actually trying to feel what they feel? Or do you just say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, whatever. And when you do listen, if you ever do hear them and you know that you've hurt them, do you actually repent? Even though maybe they haven't repented, have you repented? Look, the secret to marriage, in my opinion, according to this passage, is quite simple. It's so strange, right? It's not complicated. It's really simple. But I'll tell, the, I'll tell you this. I think the hardest things in life are not complicated. The hardest things in life are simple but hard to do. And if you were to actively listen... And you were actively repent at all times in your marriage. I'm telling you, you would have a wonderful, amazing marriage where you're on the same team, where you're one body. Do you have a soft heart that's ready to listen and ready to repent? Or do you have a hard heart that's continuously what? Defending, putting up walls and saying, you're wrong, I'm right, look. You know, I'll just kind of share from my own personal marriage, right? You know, during our fights, I've shared this before, but I get very loud in our fights. Just like how I'm preaching now, uh, I get very loud. Uh, and it's just because I'm very expressive in emotion. You know, I'm emotion-filled, passionate, I tell her. But she's like, no, it just sounds like you're angry. And, and it's true, I, I do, right? Um, but, you know, th there's been so many times, right, where my wife has shared with me, hey, when you get loud, I just cannot listen to anything that you're saying. Like, you get so frustrated, you get so angry, it almost feels violent at sometimes. Because the way you talk to me makes me feel so little and small. And I remember for a long time, I just brushed, I was just like, hey, this is who I am, you've got to accept me. Like, if, if you're going to accept me, you've got to accept me for all of me, right? I'm emotional, right? I'm like this. 
But when I sat down and I actually thought about what she was saying, and I actually thought and I, and I, and I really considered her emotions, I was like, you know, imagine if there was a bigger guy than me that came up to me and just started shouting at me. How would I feel? And I think I would feel paralyzed. And if they had more power than I did, if they were bigger than I was, and if, if, they, if they were, you know, sort of standing over me and shouting, I mean, I would feel the same way my wife felt. And when I began understanding, really empathizing with my wife and listening to her, I understood, okay, wait a sec, I've got I've to really control my tone. I've got to really make it a point to repent and say sorry to her. And, and by the way, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have not fixed this overnight. I mean, I still get very loud. But I realize she, she'll say it now. She'll just say this. She'll like, you're getting loud. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I'll talk back. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm talking softly now, okay? I'm talking softly. <laughs> You've got to take care of your body. You've got to take care of your spouse. You've got to take care of your marriage. And the best thing we can do is to have soft hearts. So how do we get the soft heart? The, the thing that I love about the scriptures is in Ezekiel chapter 26. Listen to what God says. God says this, and I will give you a new heart. You don't have to work for a new heart. You don't have to try hard for a new heart. God says, I'm going to give it to you, okay? And listen to what he says, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Ezekiel here is prophesying about today, about today now, in our present age, in the year 2021. He's saying there's going to come a day where God is going to remove our heart of stone and he's going to give us a heart of flesh. And so what I'm saying here is, look, you cannot work hard for this heart. You've got to ask and receive from the Lord this new heart. And really, at the end of the day, what I'm, what I'm telling you here is in order to have a soft heart, you've got to pray. You are not in control of your heart. You don't have uh, access to your heart. The only person that has access to your heart is the Holy Spirit himself. And you've got to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, give you a new heart. Give you a heart of flesh so that you can listen, so that you can repent, so that you can say sorry to your husband or to your wife. Look, humble people... Right? People who have soft hearts are humble. And what do humble people do? They rely on other people. They're not proud. They don't stand independent and say, I can do this alone. They say, I need a power beyond myself. I need a community of people around me. And so if your marriage is struggling, I'm telling you, you cannot do this alone in isolation. You need the prayers of people. You need to pray. You need to rely upon Christ. And you need other people's help. You've got to rely on the strength of other people. Look, look, you guys know this story very well, right? There's this illustration of a guy who's stuck in a house, right? And someone with a raft comes by and, you know, and, and he prays. He's like, God, save me. You know, God, save me. And God sends a helicopter. And the guy says, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. Right, and a boat comes by and he's like, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. And a scuba diver comes by and he's like, no, 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 I'm waiting for God to save me. And then he dies. And he goes to heaven, and he goes to God, and he says, God, why didn't you save me? He's like, I sent you a helicopter, a boat, and a scuba diver. You didn't take any of them. What were you thinking? In the same way, look, we have the church. And you're, you might be praying, man, save my marriage, Lord. Save my marriage. Help me to heal my marriage. And, and, and meanwhile, you don't receive any help. Guess what? That's a hard heart. That's pride. That's stubbornness. God has sent people around you, community group leaders, community group members, people who can walk with you. And even after this service, there will be a prayer team here. I'll be here. We can pray for you. 
You don't have to do this alone. Humble people rely on others. And ultimately, more than prayer, more than other people, you need the love of Christ. The love of Christ is the only thing that will melt your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. The love of Christ is the only thing that will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And friends, more than trying hard and more than trying to rely upon your own power, you've got to not only rely on people, but you've got to go back to the source, Christ Jesus himself, to give you a new heart. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ came, what he was saying in his incarnation was this? He's saying, I'm going to marry you. And your sins are my sins. Your losses are my loss. I'm going to take your sins upon my shoulder, and I'm going to die on a cross for them. Why? Because I married you. Your junk is now my junk. Your shame is now my shame. I'm going to take this upon myself. He who was without sin became sin so that what we could win, so that we could have righteousness. So that we could experience the righteousness of Christ. Your loss, your sin, your shame became his own. His righteousness became ours. Why? Because he married us. He became one with us. And Paul says this over and over again in his letters. Look, you are joined together in Christ. Friends, if you want a new heart, if you want a new marriage, you've got to go back to the perfect groom, the perfect husband, the perfect father, Christ Jesus himself who took upon our sin and our shame. And friends, if you constantly rely upon community, prayer, and ultimately the love of Christ, you can have a new marriage. You can have a new hope. You can have a future where you're no longer bickering and fighting, but where you're on the same team functioning as one body. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'll be the first to confess and repent, Lord, of my sins. That, Lord, this sermon that I preached was really for myself as well, Lord. Lord, that oftentimes I, I, I think that it's, 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 God, that I'm the only one that exists in the marriage, God, that I have to be right. I have to be the one that wins. And so, Lord, would you remind me once again? And, Lord, would you help me to repent truly of my sins? Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be a better lover. And Lord Jesus, we pray, God, for all the husbands and the wives in this room. My, my guess is it's the same thing, Lord, that we need to repent as well first. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us to repent? Would you soften our hearts once again? And Lord Jesus, for those marriages in here and that are tuning in online as well, Lord, that are really suffering, that are really broken, that are really in need of your love and your grace, Lord, we pray that you would soften their hearts, God, so that they would be humble people, ready to receive your love, to receive prayers, and to receive the help of a community, Lord. And so Lord, we ask and pray, God, that you would do what only you can do, Lord, which is to give us a new heart, to give us a new spirit, to give us a new marriage, Lord. God, we thank you so much for this time together. We pray this on your son's holy and precious name. Amen.